from Kurtco Media. Travel It Matters MasterChef series is brought to you by Accor, a world-leading hospitality group. And brought to you by Stone Street Estate Vineyards in Sonoma County, California. Coming up on the show. I always think food is such a beautiful connector for people. It allows you to talk about timelines. And we met guys whose families had sort of existed on this piece of property for 40, 50,000 years. You know, like it's really hard to understand just how long that civilization and continuous culture has developed. That's Chef Curtis Stone. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is the Travel That Matters Master Chef Series. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Travel That Matters Master Chef Series, where we are talking to some of the world's top chefs about their most amazing travel experiences, their favorite food destinations, and much, much more. I'm your host, Bruce Wallen, and we have a very fun show for you today with a very fun chef. Curtis Stone is his name, and as you probably know, Curtis is an Australian chef, but he is now based here in my hometown of Los Angeles, where he has two fantastic restaurants, Maud and Gwen, with a couple more on the way, including a pie shop, of all things. Curtis is also the host of the TV show Field Trip, and he's been on a bunch of other shows like Top Chef Masters and Take Home Chef. He's written cookbooks, he has his own line of cookware, and he's actually about to open any day now a new restaurant in Mexico. I'm excited to talk to him about that. The list goes on and on with Curtis, but in speaking with him, it's clear that he's someone who really appreciates everything, all that success and and everything it allows him to do, especially the travel, of course. And whether it's Field Trip or, or one of these other shows, he's been able to hang out with locals and eat all this great food in places like the McLaren Vale, the, the Kimberly, Burgundy, Hawaii, Mexico, Hong Kong, all over the place. And he just comes across as someone who really soaks it all in and has a great time doing what he's doing. Maybe it's the, the Australian accent. I don't know. They, always, they sound like they're having more fun than us all the time. But I think it's more that he's just a cool, fun guy who happens to be a super successful chef. Speaking of cool and successful chefs, we are going to meet another one today, and that is George Mendez. George was the Michelin star chef behind Aldea in New York, and he is about to open a new restaurant in Boston that draws from his many travels throughout Portugal. So stick around for my chat with George and be sure to follow Travel That Matters so you don't miss any of our upcoming MasterChef episodes. Nina Compton, Richard Sandoval, and others. But for now, let's hit the road with Curtis Stone. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us today on Travel That Matters. Welcome to the show. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to go back to your very first TV show. You've done a lot of stuff on TV. Your first show was called Surfing the Menu. And basically, you got to go back to Australia and travel around eating with a buddy of yours. First of all, what, what was that experience like, getting to explore your homeland that way? But then also, are there any hidden gems in Australia that you discovered that, that most of us wouldn't know as Americans? I'll never forget getting this phone call. I was literally 
in London working in restaurants and I'd had a really tough service that night and I was on a moped riding home. My phone rang and I stuck it in my helmet and it was this person ringing to offer me this TV show called Surfing the Menu and the idea was me and another guy, Ben O'Donoghue, would travel around Australia with our surfboards and we would meet incredible people in the food world and we'd gather ingredients and go on farms and go hunting and and, and then we'd set up on a beach somewhere and, and cook with the, the ingredients that we found and, and have a surf as well. And it took me all of three seconds to think about it and be like, <laughs> yeah, like, um, and they paid me too, which was kind of unbelievable. But it was just this dream job of like traveling, meeting food producers and learning more about food. Because I think as a chef, um, especially as a young chef, your ingredients come in a box through the back door of the restaurant. You know, you don't really know where they come from and you don't have a huge connection to them. So doing surfing the menu was amazing because you get to meet the guy that grows the mussels on a rope and talk to him about the nutrition that is in the water and how the mussels feed, their filter feeders. And, you know, like all these tiny little stories around food that you, you, we really did learn so much. So wait, you, you brought up Ben O'Donoghue. I saw a quote from him somewhere calling you the Steve Bradbury of surfing and cooking. And, and I'll admit I had to Google who Steve Bradbury was as an American. Can you explain to me what that what on earth that means? <laughs> look, Ben always joked and said, I made him look good in the water. And I tell him he makes me look good on the land. We had a lot of fun together. And Ben's a great surfer. And I'm not. I'm, I'm uh, decent at best. I'm there with you. That you know, when someone offers you a job traveling and uh, and eating delicious food around the world, and then says, "Are you a good surfer?" Of course, your answer is, "Yeah." <laughs> Compared to most pe- people in London, you probably were. So, <laughs> I mean, Ben became one of my best mates, and and we just had so much fun together. We were just silly, naughty, you know, doing all the things that you shouldn't do. We were also young, and um, and and just it was just one of those dream jobs. And we we also got to see you know real treasures of Australia, you know, places that you wouldn't necessarily get to. All right, so give us a couple of those spots. For for those of us who, you know, the Sydney or Great Barrier Reef has been the kind of the only experience that we've had there. What 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 are some of the spots that you think we need to discover? Well, we went up to the Kimberleys, which is in Western Australia and in northern Western Australia, and the water's this turquoisey kind of blue, you know, just gorgeous. The the earth is bright red and there's this tropical kind of incredible green to the plants up there so that you know it's just sensational to look at but we were lucky enough to meet some some elders from an aboriginal community who took us out and taught us how to hunt and taught us a lot about their history and their background and i always think food is such a beautiful connector for people but it's also it allows you to talk about timelines and you know think about what the people the generation and and before then and, you know, we met guys whose families had sort of existed on this piece of property for 40, 50,000 years. You know, like it's really hard to understand just how long that civilization and continuous culture has developed. So when you talk to them about the hunting that their their ancestors did and, and the more you get to understand that, it's, it's a pretty cool thing because you learn a lot about your own country in, in that way. Do you see that in, in Australian cuisine today? Have you seen a lot of that, the traditions that have built over 50,000 years or whatever it is like coming to light in a high-end restaurant in Sydney or something like that? Totally. Yeah, there's, there's been this real resurgence of, I think there's a couple of chefs started it, you know, um, two good mates of mine 
Jock Zonfrillo and another guy named Ben Shuri. They sort of went on this incredible mission to understand native Australian ingredients and, and more about the Aboriginal culture and, you know, what they did with those ingredients. And there's stuff that you've never heard of and you've never tasted before that only grow there, you know, and, and sadly or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, they also don't travel very well, a lot of them. So there's, you know, it's not things that you could import or export with any ease anyway, but things like ribery and kakadu plum and finger limes and stuff that you kind of like, you know, what are you talking about? Well, they're, they're really interesting ingredients that the Aboriginal people would find, you know, they a lot of them are really highly nutritious as well. So, you know, very good for you and serve medicinal purposes as well as uh, incredible culinary service too. So, you know, there's there's lots to learn and, and those Aussie ingredients are showing up a lot on menus over there now. We won't be seeing those on the menu at Maud anytime soon though. Well, you know, we did do a South Australian menu. We, we sort of honoured one of the beautiful wine regions, the McLaren Vale. We did do a menu and we, we dehydrated a lot of those ingredients and brought them over because they have really distinct. We, we could get some stuff fresh as well, but it's, it's a pretty cool, unique place, that's for sure. So, okay, wine countries. Maud did a, you know, themed menus over the course of mm. a few years, I think, with, you know, focusing on different wine regions around the world, which also led you to your, your show field trip now, you got to explore a lot of these wine regions in the name of research, aside from the obvious that you like good wine, but you know what is it about these wine regions that really kind of draws you in, inspired you to create these menus and, and you know obviously made it such a special place to shoot and travel? I mean, mate, my theory is if you're going to work your ass off, you might as well pick a job that you really enjoy. So traveling around the best wine regions of the world, it was uh, it was a bit of a, a no-brainer. But, you know, I think what you do find in, in those wine regions is a ton of history. You know, a lot of these wines have been made for, for literally centuries. And, you know, I think that with that comes a little class and comes a little opulence and you know not always it's very different wine region to wine region but a lot of tradition a lot of cuisine is built around wine i think more recently we always talk about the wine pairing you know what what wine pairs for this food and we wanted to sort of reconsider that a little and sometimes think about the wine first and then say what food should we develop to honor that wine and you know when you think about what these winemakers have done honoring those incredible wines is is pretty cool you know it's a pretty pretty nice privilege to have and when you go to places like burgundy or rioja or champagne or whatever the region you know that steeped in tradition steeped in history and they make a beautiful product so can you walk us through you know how that works okay so there's a chateau margot or whatever the wine is that you've you've tasted you're there you're in the the cellars with the winemaker and you're tasting this wine and you know an idea clicks and and then five months later your guests at Maud are, are eating a dish that, that came to you. That, is there an example that you could just walk us through? Look, I think with, with food, you get inspired by lots of things. Sometimes it's flavor. In a lot of cases, it's flavor. And sometimes it's an ingredient because it's seasonal or whatever. And other times it might be the history or the story or the person that you met, you know. And I think that when we were in Rioja, we found this really interesting modern attitude you know a lot of people in the culinary world there are doing cutting edge sort of stuff molecular gastronomy and and, and that kind of thing but then there's a, it's also steeped in tradition you know so it's kind of this interesting collision of contemporary and and really really old and it's somehow worked together really well we went to marquise de riscal beautiful vineyard they had frank gary come and do the building so it's like this 
century-old place and the rolling hills with all the vines and it's been there forever, but then this extremely modern building. So we actually did a dish to honour that building because we got to hear what Frank Gehry's story was and why he did why he designed the, the building the way we did. So we took some of that as inspiration for a dish and we made a dish somehow look a little bit similar to the way that building kind of looked. So there was stuff that had nothing to do with the wine and nothing to do with the food, but it was just particularly special you know part of our trip and then of course there's we tasted wines that we were like oh my god when i drink this i want to eat slow cooked beef with blub you know so so we we do that as well yeah i've seen pictures of that that hotel with just the the sheets of wavy glass in the middle of the vineyards there yeah marquez de rascal i think that's the name of the the hotel as that's well, right yeah but it looks fantastic you've gotten to travel all over the place and, and wine countries through your home country, through through the U.S. obviously as well. What are some of the other regions that have kind of inspired you as a chef that you that you feel are kind of just, you know, some of your favorite culinary destinations? Every place you go to has something different and unique. Sometimes it's the place itself. Sometimes it's just so beautiful. Sometimes it's the history that's built that place into what it is. Sometimes it's the ingredients. I mean, we're here in Southern California and there's nowhere else in the world that can grow vegetables and fruits like we can. You know, it really is a very special growing region. So for no other reason, this is one of my favorite places in the world because we can get the most fantastic tomatoes and beautiful carrots that are grown in the high desert that has a frost on the ground within an hour or two of each other. You know, so there's there's certain... And, and then I think the people of some places really inspire you. I mean, we went to the, the Big Island and we met some some Hawaiian guys who, you know not only showed us their culture and cuisine, but, you know, taught us a lot about that junction of how tourists interact with locals and, and indigenous culture and cuisine interacts with something newer. And I think you learn so much every spot that you go. So, I mean, we had such a great time in Burgundy because of the wine. We had such a great time in Hawaii because of the people. We've had interesting times in different parts of Australia. You know, we, we, I mean, I'm just so fortunate to be able to go to all of these places. So let's talk about California now. You're adopted home state. You, The new menu at Mod is is a California-themed menu, yes? And what's what's seasonal here in California? And talk to us a little bit about that. And, and also kind of like, what do you think makes Los Angeles in particular an interesting dining destination? You know, what, what would you tell your people, you know, your friends or family who are coming in from Australia, you know, like what are the things that they need to kind of experience to, to really understand LA's food scene? Look, I think the variety of the food scene down here is really cool, you know, and, and a little unmatched. You know, we've got a Korea town that's just vibrant and you would swear that you're in the middle of Seoul if someone dropped you in the middle of Korea town here in LA because it doesn't look anything like any other landscape around. The the food that comes from different countries is really alive and well here. And Mexican is certainly one of them. You know, there's there's beautiful Mexican food here in LA. And we're sort of, I guess, exploring Southern Californian cuisine, as well as sort of Baja, Mexico, you know, because we're all one landmass, right? Like we, we are going a little further south to find wonderful ingredients that, that are native to this sort of region and having a lot of fun with them. You know, we did a cactus dish with which had cucumber, consomme, 
poured over the top and it was very Mexican in its um, ingredients but not in its technique and I think that playfulness is is something that we've always had a bit of fun with at Maud. OCL is is our chef down there and he's got such a talent and works so so diligently to sort of find ingredients that you might not have come across but then we we also try not to make it too I always say it's fine dining without all the fluff you know we want it to be this wonderful environment but not for any reason other than it's a wonderful experience for the guests. You know, that's that's sort of, we're not trying to show off. We're not trying to be the cleverest. We're just trying to create really delicious food in a lovely environment. Okay, so you brought up Mexico. And I understand your newest project. I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this, by the way. I just, just heard about it. But you have a project at a resort that I absolutely love, an incredible location. Can you, can you tell us about that a bit? I sure can. So I've partnered with... Um, the hotel's called Maroma, and it's one of the hotels of the Belmond Group. And I mean, if, if you've ever been to one of their properties, they they just do it right. You know, they they really do have a an eye for luxury and an eye for detail. And and this place somewhere between Cancun and Playa del Carmen, it's in a couple of hundred acres of lush tropical rainforest and it's right on the water so it's rainforest is the wrong word it's it's more sort of like a jungle so it's where the jungle meets the ocean and it's white sand beaches bright blue water and then this lush green sort of backdrop so it's just a magical part of the world and we're going to open a restaurant um, there at Maroma and you know we've built a kitchen that has lots of live fire and we're going to burn a local wood it cook over those fires and lots of things from the ocean and, and some beautiful, beautiful meats as well. So beautiful vegetable dishes too. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So actually, Maroma, so first of all, that is a, a, a beautiful resort. It, it is on really one of the best beaches you're going to see anywhere. But it's also the, it was the first place I ever had grasshopper in my guacamole was at the, at the Belmont Maroma. And I know they've just redone the whole resort. They've got your restaurant coming up there. It's a, it was a fantastic experience way back then. And I, I'm very excited to that. That sounds very cool. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Chef Curtis Stone. We've talked about Mexico, Burgundy, Australia. Those are places I think people, especially nowadays, really travel to for food, you know, in, in a lot of situations they are going there with food as a primary reason for their trip are there any other destinations that you feel like maybe aren't so you know heralded for their cuisine but but really are worth that type of trip to go explore the cuisine well you know i mean we think of italy right and everyone goes to tuscany or the big sites you go to rome you go to pisa you go to florence but there's so much more to italy that you should go just for food, you know, that's that's the destination. I mean, we went to Umbria, of course, the home of truffles, and you're sort of in these mountainous areas and you find the most incredible charcuterie and wonderful cheesemakers and beautiful olive oil. And, and yes, of course, you go truffle hunting and, and that blows your mind as well. But every menu you go and see when you're in Umbria, you're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> look at there's truffles everywhere. And it's uh, that's magical. We went While we were in Italy, we went to um, Lombardy, which is up, in the Milan sort of area, but we went ski, you know, we went up into the mountains. So you have this incredible mountainous kind of culture and there's so much to explore outside of the first five or six. I kind of feel like you should say Google most visited places in Italy and then cross off the 
the, the top 10 and then start. Do you know what I mean? And you should kind of do that with a lot of places because it's where you find real authentic food, people, culture. You know, people have a lot more time for you as a tourist because there's not so many of you. Yeah, I think like California, we could spend a lifetime just exploring Italy. It's one of those places that just the diversity of the landscape, the cultures, the the cuisine. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, I hosted travel podcast. I've worked in travel media for many, many years. And people always ask me, you know, what's your favorite destination and expect me to have some exotic answer of some sort. And if I'm really honest with myself, it's probably Italy because I mean, who whose <laughs> favorite destination isn't Italy? It really is. It kind of has everything we want, but many, many other places, of course. But yes, it is. It is amazing for that. What are some of the other parts of the world or, or styles of cuisine that have kind of are inspiring you right now as a chef? Look, I think the older the culture, the more beautiful the cuisine. And when you think about the Indian cuisine, it's so layered and there's so many flavors and spices that are used. And each preparation, you know, if you think about an Indian meal, there's probably seven or eight things on the table, a lot of them plant-based. And I think that's super cool because when you're when you're not relying on the steak or the fish to to be the hero, you've really got to develop flavor. And I think that's exactly what Indian cuisine does. And of course, it's very regional. There's North, Northern Indian food. It's as different from the Northern Italian food is from the Southern Italian food, right? The Northern, Northern Indian to the Southern Indian. In the South, it's a lot of coconut and a lot of, a lot of seafood. And in the North, up around Rajasthan, it's very meat-focused and very spicy. And I, I don't know much about it, but I am so inspired by it because, you know, I, I, I know a bit about it. I love to eat it, but I, you know, obviously <laughs> That's don't about know my how, to cook, as well, yeah. how to cook it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we didn't talk about is London. And I, I don't know, do you, do you still go back there a lot? I know you worked in London for a while. Do you go back there a lot and, and experience it as a, a visitor? Yeah, I took my family to um, the UK not long ago and we spent some time in London and then we went up to a little country house just outside of Bath and, and stayed there for, for a minute too, which was really special. You know, my love of Indian food in some way comes from London. There's a joint called Brick Lane and it's just full of these incredible joints to go and get um, amazing Indian food. They call them curry houses, you know, and they really are houses of curry. They're, they're sensational and beautiful, beautiful food. There's an Indian restaurant that I love in Ascot Vale, actually, where I grew up called the Indian Star, and it's been there forever. And sometimes they're unassuming, those Indian restaurants. I'm always amazed by the price of the food, right? Because if you think about how much detail they put in and how many different spices and how, how much manpower it takes to make a great Indian feast – in comparison to a steakhouse, right? Think about a steakhouse. You pay a guy to cook the steak over the grill and you do some mashed potatoes and some green beans. You know, that shouldn't cost the the, the world. The Indian food is undervalued and it's, it's a pretty interesting way to think about it. What's next for you in your travels? It, it sounds like you're a bit of an adventurer as well with the surfing, the skiing. Do you know, I just got back from Hong Kong, which was a pretty cool experience. We, we, we did shoot an episode of Field Trip there. I mean, my goodness, what a place to eat. If you want to go on a culinary trip, Hong Kong is it, man. It's got the beautiful high-end restaurants that are as good as any in the world. And then it has little old men in dumpling stores making dim sum all day long. And it's been there. It looks like it's falling down. And you can eat 
unbelievable street food, you know. So there's got this, you know, Hong Kong to me has this really interesting and there's amazing French chefs there and, of course, sensational Chinese food. So it really is a melting pot and, and sort of a gateway to, to Southeast Asia. But, yeah, it was it was a beautiful, beautiful time. I'm planning, of course, there's a lot of Mexico in my plans. I'm, I'm going to be back out on the 1st of June. Never a bad thing. Never a bad thing, exactly. And I'll be there for, for 10 days as we sort of get gear up to the open. I think officially we'll open Maroma in early August. My wife and I might sneak over to Europe for a few days. We got married in Mallorca and it's our 10-year anniversary. So we might uh, we might get a couple of days in Spain. Okay, so where's your spot in Mallorca? A, a hot summer destination. Where do you Where do you love to go? Daya is um, is a really incredible place. There's, there's a little medieval town there called Valdemosa. If you haven't been there, you've got to go one point in your life. It's just so pretty. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to hear about a brand new concept that Chef Stone is opening up in L.A. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these... I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. So, okay, we know about the, the restaurant in Mexico at the Belmont Maroma. What else you got coming up? You know, during the pandemic, we turned Maud, a little beautiful restaurant, into a pie shop. And we called it the Pie Room. And we made these delicious pies, both savory and sweet. And ever since we had to close it and reopen the restaurant, everybody keeps asking for the pies. So we've we got ourselves a 6,000-square-foot bakery on Pico. And we're going to open the Pie Room. We'll sell the pies through Gwen. So it'll become the butcher shop and pie room. Yep. And... We've got a new spot in the Topanga Mall, which is just a brand new standalone okay. little store that'll be, yeah, just a part of that. They call it the Topanga Social. They've got a bunch of restaurants sort of going into this area, and we'll be right outside that. So it's pre- I've, I've got a baker, Amy. She's absolutely out of her mind. She's so obsessed with venoiserie and pie crust, and I'll literally throw her an idea, and I'll come back a week later, and she's just obsessed over it, and she's turned it into something magical. You <laughs> I, I personally don't love bagels. I'm going to offend all of the New York <laughs> listeners, but I've always just been like, I don't get it. It's just a big, bready, doughy, you know, chunk of, it's not my thing. And she just went on this mission to prove me wrong. And she's made this bagel that would bring a grown man to tears. It's so good. <laughs> it's the best bagel on the planet, I'm, I'm convinced. And I'm now a bagel lover. Well, I, that is awesome. Curtis, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
So good chatting to you. Travel's one of my favourite things in the world, and um, I think you've got a pretty good job too, mate, getting all the intel from all these incredible people. And now for the wall and wrap up. Curtis has a good life, doesn't he? I really enjoy talking to him, and I need to get back down to Mexico and check out that new restaurant he has at the Belmont Maroma. I also want to get back to Boston, which is one of my favorite cities and one that will soon be home to a new restaurant from Chef George Mendez. For those of you who aren't familiar with George, he is a first-generation American whose parents are from Portugal, and he earned a Michelin star for his Portuguese restaurant, Aldea, in New York. He was named Food & Wine's Best New Chef in 2011, and he has gone on to do many other great things and really helped put Portuguese cuisine on the map for many Americans. And his new restaurant, called Amar, will be at the brand new Raffles Boston Hotel. Amar is George's contemporary interpretation of Portuguese cuisine with a menu that has been highly influenced not just by his heritage, but by his travels in Portugal and beyond. I mean, for for starters, you know, travel is a pathway to creativity and inspiration, right? I mean, it's it's a break away from the daily grind of, of running a restaurant and being in the kitchen. And, and when, when you travel, you come back with fresh ideas, fresh inspirations, you know, you have a, a clearer mind. Portugal has always been, you know, my my go-to because it's my, it's my ancestry and my, I grew up to a Portuguese immigrant. So I go there often and it has a big culinary influence. You know, I trained in Paris, trained in Spain, you know, a little bit of time in Germany. And, you know, all of those countries have contributed. I mean, but primarily Portugal, France, and Spain are gigantic inspirations for me. So Portugal is, has certainly in, in recent years become extremely popular as a, a travel destination. A lot, of, a lot of people moving there, you know, remote workers and, and whatnot. What parts of the country do you kind of just love to go to and then also really influence you as a chef? Sure. I mean, you know, landing in Lisbon, the capital is always the first stop. I always spend a few nights there before traveling either north or south. The Algarve, the, the south of Portugal, known as the Portuguese Riviera, is just a bounty of of seafood and, and beach culture and weather is, is phenomenal. And then right above the Algarve, before you reach Lisbon, again, is the Alentejo, which just flatlands, gorgeous landscapes and just fantastic ingredients and, and, and culture and, and cuisine. North of, of Lisbon, it goes into the Dao region where my family immigrated from, about two hours north of, of Lisbon, and then the Douro and, of course, Porto, farther north. It's a very unique city, rich in history, beautiful wine making, and, and it's just really evolved into a, a popular destination. Another thing that's happening with Portuguese wines as well, it's not just port, obviously. It, it goes far beyond that. And I think the wines have, have caught on a lot. I want to talk to you about that and how that might play into your menu at Amar. But first, what attracted you to Boston? And like, what about the food scene there is exciting? You know, it's funny. I, I'm born in Connecticut to uh, to Portuguese immigrants and being in New England and being pretty close to Massachusetts. And, and you know, I was a big Boston Celtics fan growing up. And it, <laughs> it literally... I left Connecticut in my early 20s, to, you know, very early 20s to pursue a culinary career and found myself in New York City for many, many years. And then Boston presented itself with such a, a fantastic luxury brand that is uh, Raffles. And this project, this property, and what we're aiming to do and contribute to the landscape of the luxury hotel market, as well as the culinary, was very attractive to me. 
Boston itself is a very dynamic, very diverse city, you know, from the universities to to the architecture and the deep history. It, it's such a melting pot. And it's a very metropolitan city that for me has a lot to to offer um, the culinary stage and the hotel stage. So with Amar, is there a, you know, a, a decent Portuguese food scene in Boston and kind of how will Amar fit into that? I mean, especially, especially, yeah, Boston, but also, you know, neighboring neighborhoods like Somerville. And then, of course, other cities like Fall River and New Bedford, which has a very big Portuguese community. Amar is going to be a modern interpretation. It's modern Portuguese cooking. It's taking the traditional food of, of restaurants that you find in these Portuguese communities, like in Somerville or, or in Fall River or in New Bedford. And sticking to the foundation, respecting the flavors, but then executing them in a modern way. We are working with top farmers and vendors and, and fishmongers and, you know, the best ingredients that, you know, we can procure. And I'm interpreting what we're doing here at Amar through modern lens. You know, it's, it's you know, my restaurant Aldea in New York City, where I had a Michelin star for 11 years. For me, Amar is an Aldea 2.0. It's another version of it in a different city. And I, I feel at home here because because of the Portuguese community, because it's New England, and because of the Celtics, and because of the, and because of the Celtics. And I guarantee you, we're going to do better. We're going to go a little further than la- this year. Than, just a uh, little next bit year. further. A little bit further. Good, good. Can you give us an example? Is there? Do you have any menu items you know that you've developed already that you can give us a little teaser of? I, I can. There's going to be a lot of seafood. I can tell you that, and there's going to be a lot of vegetables. You know, we are uh, a, a seafaring uh, culture, both. Portugal and New England. And uh, that's the match there. The menu itself will have small plates, snacks, and then a tasting menu as well. And of course, the, the wine list will be very heavily Portuguese focused. Well, I'm long overdue for a trip to Boston, so I'm excited. That sounds fantastic. And actually, let's talk about this is not just Amar that you're working on for the Raffles Boston. You're actually developed the entire culinary program. Like, is this the first time you've done something like that? And like, how how have you approached that process? Yeah, no, it it isn't the first time. In addition to Amar, we're going to have Long Bar, which is a uh, Raffles brand staple, born in Singapore. Long, but the Long Bar will be a New England focused menu. There will also be a street side cafe named Cafe Pastel, and it will be serving. Our famous egg custard tarts, pastes de nata, as well as many other baked goods. We'll be baking all of our own bread and house baguettes, sourdough, you know, chocolate croissants and croissants. So, you know, those are just a few of the outlets that I will be overseeing. Everything is on the 17th floor. Beautiful sweeping views of, of, of Boston. Must say, the, the, the views are unparalleled. Fantastic. So the long bar in Singapore at the Raffles Singapore. Is that where the Singapore sling was invented? Am I- that is right. That's where it was born. Okay, yes. good, good. So what what is going to be our equivalent invention at the Raffles Boston? We have to come up with something here that's going to kind of live with culture forever and ever. I can promise you there will be, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to spill the beans <laughs> just yet. Get excited though. We have an answer for it. We are very excited. All right. Well, George, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We'd like to thank Curtis Stone and George Mendez for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on their restaurants and everything else we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. Travel That Matters is produced and edited for Kurtco by AJ Mosley. Marketing by Katrin Skapertis. 
Music by Joey Salvia and hosted by me, Bruce Wallen, and we will see you down the road. <laughs>